In chains, be careful how you play the game. Cause the same ones that chose you are the same ones that own you. Same things that built you, the same things that kill you. Same things that praise you are the same things that hate you. Funny how it all goes around. If you lose your soul, you lose it all. If you're at the top, brace for the fall. Surrounded by faces, no one to call. this messed up world You would see every scratch, every flaw Every ounce of dirt Your so-called friends you're leaning on But all they do is take You say it's fine, but deep inside You wish you could escape Everything you ever wanted Got you tied up in chains Be careful how you play the game the same things that love you The same things that hate you same things that make you are the same things that break you. Same rules that blind you are the same rules that guide you. Funny how it all goes around. If you lose your soul, you lose it all. If you're at the top, race for the fall. Surrounded by faces, no one to call. Funny how it all goes around. If you lose your soul, you lose it all. If you're at for the fall, surrounded by faces, no one to call, funny how it all goes around, keep on crying now, don't let me hit the ground, this soul is crying now, don't let me hit the ground, you keep crying now, don't let That was awesome. Wow, wow, wow. Just so you don't wonder, that's my daughter. I don't <laughs> make a complete fool of myself or just anyone. Good morning, everybody. 
Oh, that was awesome. I, gotta, I just, had a, just gotta have a proud Papa transition moment. So just give me a second. Wow, that was awesome. Praise the Lord. Well, welcome to Connect, everybody. My name is Pastor Derek. You say good morning. Good morning, good morning to you. It's great to have you in church this morning. All you 1145ers, wow. This is the third round here at Connect, and uh, are you ready? Are you guys ready? Yeah? You sure? All right. Well, we're going to get into it this morning. We're starting a new series today entitled Remix, and uh, basically we're talking about letting God rewrite our song, and I'll unpack that as we get going, but today's message and every message as we go forward is going to be based on a song. Today's song is called Funny by Tori Kelly. The funny part is there's nothing funny about losing your soul. And the song just talks about just some uh, warnings, reminders, and challenges to, you know, really not put our hope in something that can actually and ultimately cost us dearly. Can I have an amen out there? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. You can get your worship guide out. You can follow along on version as well. There's some great things that uh, you'll receive today that will help you in your devotional life during the week. I hope you've had a good worship experience so far. I know we've had a great day, and um, it's great to be in the house of the Lord on Sundays. Amen? Amen. Sometimes, you know, as I kind of get into this, sometimes uh, we try to live someone else's life. You know, sometimes, uh, another way to say this is sometimes we're singing someone else's song instead of the song that God put in us. You know, God kind of, he scripted some things and wrote some things and put some things in you and me. And, and I believe God wants to remix that sound that sometimes has gotten distorted. I, you know, it's, it, we're trying, I call it someone's sickness. We're trying to be someone else instead of being who God's created us to be. And he wants to make what happened maybe to us become something that can happen through us. He can turn the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he can work it for good to them that love God, the Bible says, and are called according to his purpose. He has this incredible uh, power, really, to, to take things that, you know, the devil meant for harm and turn them and work them for good. That's the God I serve. That's the God I love. That's the God I want to introduce some of you to today. Amen? And so deep inside our soul, sometimes the sound that God wants to express through us gets muffled by, uh, by life. And we aspire to be someone or go somewhere or find something. And at the end of that, sometimes we pull up to the, to the, let's just say that, that place and time, and we, and we pull up empty. we like, this is it? This is all? This is what it was all about? And you've, you've done all that, and, and don't lose your soul in the process. And so sometimes in our attempt to find something we're not, we lose ourselves. Sometimes we go after something, and we can lose who we are. And, and for what? Are we doing it for temporary rewards? Perhaps temporal or temporary rewards? Are we doing it for human accolades, for, you know, some momentary applause or things like that? And, and I don't know about you, but there can be this preoccupation sometimes with climbing the wrong ladder, with pursuing the wrong or someone else's dream or singing someone else's song, and we can miss what God has for us. My dad used to challenge me with, uh, a, I remember this particular question, and it, it ended up becoming like a way that he taught a principle to me. But when I was a young boy, he used to say to me, son, would you like an ice cream now or would you like a bike later? Now, when I was a young eight-year-old, all I could think about as soon as he mentioned the word ice cream was ice cream. And I used to like double chocolate ice cream, so we won't get into that because that'll sidetrack me and I won't remember what I was going to say because it blurs my vision because I love it so much. But I'd say, I want ice cream now. And as soon as I would say that, a lecture would ensue because he was trying to teach me something that you and I all kind of, even as adults, we have this childish tendency 
to live for the, the temporary, to live for the instant, to live for the immediate. And it can easily sidetrack us, and it can be sometimes very costly, very costly, as we'll go into that a little bit more. And this tendency to give into the temporal, the surface, the, uh, the external things of this world, it reminds me of a story about a young boy named Leroy. Everybody say, Leroy. Leroy. Turn, to your, turn to your neighbor say, is your name Leroy? No, okay, I know it's not. <laughs> and for all of you that come from a Catholic background, you'll appreciate this as we go forward. But Leroy was a young boy who was frustrated with his toys, and he wanted a new bike. He had some kind of hand-me-down bike. He was just disappointed in it. And so he asked his mom if he could have a new bike. Well, his mom came back to him, and, you know, it was just like, you know, kind of like her in her mind, she's thinking, look around, son. And she says, son, this, is, this isn't Christmas. It's not your birthday, and we don't have a lot of money. So what I want you to do is I want you to uh, pray about that. I want you to go up to your room, and I'll tell you what, why don't you write Jesus a letter? Why don't you ask him for a new bike? And so Leroy was all upset and bent out of shape. And after his kind of little temper tantrum, you know, the mom sends him up to his room. He goes up to his room. And once he finally comes down, he's like, all right, fine. He sits down at his desk, and he writes his letter to Jesus. And his letter may not have been maybe what you would have wrote, but he basically said, dear Jesus, I've been a good boy this year. Give me a new bike. Sincerely, Leroy. <laughs> As he finishes signing his name, he immediately kind of has like a, a, a conscience you know, moment, a conviction of some sort, and he realizes, you know what? I haven't been a good boy all year. He rips it up. He tears it up in pieces, he throws it in the trash, and, and, and he knew that he didn't have the character, he, didn't, he really hasn't been a good boy all year, so he writes another letter, starts over, I, I hear Jimmy Fallon music going on right now, you know when this takes place, you know, and no, some of you guys don't know what that is, but anyway, there should be some piano, but uh, basically he, he writes another letter, says, dear Jesus, I've been an okay boy this year, can you please give me a new bike, sincerely, Leroy. After this, he has the conviction again come over him, and, and he's like, oh, this letter's not going to get through to Jesus either. He tears it up. He throws it away. <sighs> he starts to write again. Jimmy Fallon music. He begins to write another letter. Dear Jesus, I've thought about being a good boy this year. <laughs> Give me a new bike. Sincerely, Leroy. After he, he, he finishes writing this letter, once again, he realizes, you know what? He hasn't been a good boy. He hasn't even thought about being a good boy. He doesn't have the character. He's been a pain in, in the rear end to his parents. He's been a brat. He's starting to get all worked up. He gets mad. He leaves his room. He leaves the desk. He goes down the stairs. He goes out the front door. He goes into the neighborhood, and he's having kind of a depressed, angry moment. When he finally calms down from all his emotions, he's at the front steps of the neighborhood church. He looks at the front steps, he walks up into the church, he goes down the aisle of the church, gets down to the front, sees Jesus hanging on the cross, he gets down on his knees, and he thinks, I'm going to pray, I'm going to talk to Jesus myself. But he realizes, I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. Once again, he stands up in a kind of tizzy again, begins to walk out. As he's walking out, he sees some statues. Something comes over him. He grabs one of the statues. He runs out of the church, runs down the street, runs back into his house, up the stairs, into his bedroom throws the statue under the bed and he goes to his desk and he sits down and he writes one last letter to Jesus. He says, dear Jesus, I've got your mother and if you want her back, you better give me a bike. <laughs> Leroy. <laughs> Ta -da -da. I don't care what you say, that's funny. Leroy's temptation, <laughs> Leroy's temptation for something immediate uh, and sacrifice is, is, is for something important is kind of our battle today. 
It's really the Christian kind of war, the Christian struggle that we have. We will give up the long term, we'll give up the eternal for something temporary, something short term. And the chorus in the song says, it's funny how it all goes around. In other words, it's another way you could say it is we're chasing after, aspiring for, desiring something from something or from someone, somewhere, and ends up that it comes back around to not really give us what we were looking for. In fact, we don't actually go back around to zero. It's actually, it's actually can be more costly than even that, and I'll talk about that in a minute. The bridge actually talks about just like, you know, be careful, you know, I don't want to fall down, I don't want to hit the ground, you know, because we are sometimes climbing the wrong ladder. Maybe it's the corporate ladder where we're looking for kind of power and prestige. Maybe it's the relational ladder where we're looking for security and intimacy through the quick fixes of this world. Maybe we're, we're going through the, the fame ladder where we're looking to distinguish ourselves and look different and be, you know, something or somebody. And at the end of that, it all goes around. It all comes around. And we come up empty. There's a quote from a great historical figure, Alexander the Great, but it says, when Alexander the Great saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. This was a man who was at the top. This was a man who had conquered the world, all the kingdoms of this world. And when he got to the top, he hit a lid and realized, this is not what I live for. This is not what I want. He wept. My father, who was a businessman in, a, in, in the life insurance industry before he was in ministry, he followed, and everybody has them, either passively or intentionally, he followed a mentor. His name was Bill. And Bill was a very successful businessman. He was the president of a very successful insurance company, at the time the most successful in the world back in the 70s, and he had it all. And when he got to the top of that, he actually was hired by a conglomerate of companies called American Brands, and he became the chairman of the board of that. And when he got to the top of that, he started developing all these programs and benefit programs for companies all over the world. And when he got to the top of that, after having homes and, and trophy wife and all the accolades and all the possessions and everything you could probably have in the natural and that you could look at, he got a phone, my father got a phone call one day because Bill had taken his life. Everybody was chasing him, and he was climbing a ladder that actually all came back around and left him empty. Even worse than that, it took his soul. It took his soul. And sometimes we're going about things the wrong way. Sometimes we're chasing things, and we know not what we're chasing. But what's interesting today is it's not uncommon for people who are in entertainment, Hollywood stars, people of fame, to actually intentionally choose to accept the temporary benefits of this world, the temporal benefits of the world, maybe because of a deceived heart or whatever, knowing that they're surrendering their soul in the process. In fact, I've been studying this quite a bit, and I can't do a lot on this this morning, but people that you might know, this one particular entertainer, Nicole uh, Scherzinger, she's the um, lead singer for the Pussycat Dolls. She actually came from a Christian background, a Christian family, and she actually was interviewed, and she said that she hasn't risen to the top she hasn't won all the things that she wants to win and seen all the things she wants to see because she hasn't fully surrendered her life to the devil yet. Um, people like Katy Perry, who I love and love her music, but former gospel singer, in one interview said she had to sell her soul to the devil to become successful. Now, you might say, well, that's, I don't think that's serious. Maybe, maybe they're doing it all in jest, but maybe that's something we shouldn't jest about, or maybe there's something underneath that. I just submit to you something for you to think about. Michael Jackson wrote a song, and I love Michael Jackson, but he wrote a song called Money, and it talks about selling your soul to the God of this world. Tupac, Eminem, Snoop Dogg. I could go down a list of famous people who in their lyrics talk about selling their soul to the devil so they could be successful. Right. By going 
after all the world has to offer, what are we giving up in the process? The song says, if you lose your soul, you lose it all, written by Tori, who is a believer, by the way. And if you're at the top, then brace for the fall. In the Bible, in Luke 9, it's in your notes, verse 25, it says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his own soul? See, we are not immune to the temptations of this world. Jesus wasn't even immune to them. In Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, there's stories there where Jesus was tempted by the devil, the adversary, Satan. And Satan came to him. And after Jesus was filled with the Spirit and he was, he was fasting for 40 days, the Bible says he was hungry. And then that's when the devil came. And three times, in three different ways, he was tempted. But in one of the ways that he was tempted, Satan basically said this. The devil took him up and revealed to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. The Bible says in a moment. Pretty cool little... Uh, thing there if you look it up for yourself but basically somehow satan showed jesus the kingdoms of this world all in a minute just a split second i should say in other words it must have been the biggest satellite picture that ever came at that particular time i don't know how he how he did it but he did it and it says satan said i'll give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they're mine to give to anyone i please and then he went on tempting jesus and then jesus overcame it and then the bible says that satan would come back at another time a more opportune time when he's weak again and the point is you and i and even jesus can be tempted temptation is not a sin giving in to temptation is in fact a sin all right that's not the problem but how does he tempt us the primary ways that sometimes the enemy would tempt us with kingdoms or gods of this world or the god of this world, temporarily Satan has been given and allowed a temporary jurisdiction in this world to, to just kind of prowl around and seeking whom he may devour. That's, that's 1 John 5 talks about this. So he has a temporary license to disrupt. And while this is going on, he tempts us with these kingdoms, with these, with these gods. And I want to talk about what some of those gods are in just a second. But first, let me give you the big idea for the message today, which comes from this song by Tori Kelly. Here it is. Big idea is don't chase the temporary and give up the eternal. Make sure that while you're, if you're chasing the temporary, you don't give up the eternal in the process. Now, these gods small g, these idols, or you could say idolatries, they refer to those things that we worship. In the Old Testament, the gods that we would worship were, they were actual physical idols, graven images that they would worship. Today, we don't worship graven images, but we do have idols or idolatries that we have to be careful of. And some of those idolatries can be things like, or idols can be things like pride, or money, or popularity, or body image, or hobbies, and the like. And some of these things may in, may in themselves not be bad. I'm not suggesting they're bad. We need money in order to live. We, we care for our bodies, and that is appropriate. Scripture talks about this. God talks about that he, every good and perfect gift comes from God. So the hobbies and, and the things that we can delight in, they came from him. He's given them to us. However, when we begin to value something above God, in other words, we begin to expect that that thing, that person, place, or thing is going to provide us the satisfaction, the ultimate satisfaction we need in this life, that is when it can become an idol in our life, an idolatry in our life. Is everybody tracking with me out there? And so basically God is saying that these, the, these other things are gifts, not God's. These other things that are in the world today were meant to be gifts. They were never meant to be God's. 
in our life. And so there's three kind of gods or idols to avoid. And I'm going to give you kind of the modern version and contrast it with, say, the biblical names for these things. And it comes from these gods and, they're, and where they're supposed to be placed in our lives was set right in the Ten Commandments. The first of the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, verse 3, God spoke and he said, you shall have no other God, small g, before what? Me. In other words, I want to be first in your life. Let me tell you something about God. He can only be first. He will not accept second place, last place. God will only be first. First is what God is all about in your life. He's okay with you having other loves. He's okay with you liking and participating and doing other things as long as it's not above him. That's why the Bible says set your affections on things above, not on things of earth. Because God is trying to set the priority in your life in Colossians 3 for you and for me. So a God, small g, is anything that dominates you. It may not initially, but it's a path towards domination. It's a path towards mastery in your life. And it can be a career. It can be a person, place. It can be, a, it can be golf. It can be football. Today at 830, I haven't forgotten. It can be... <laughs> It can be something like that. It's okay to love those things as long as you don't love them more than you love God. Can I have an amen out there? So Deuteronomy 6.14 says, do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. Don't follow them. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. When I was a young man, I would read that and I'd be so confused. Like, God is jealous of me? He's not jealous of you. He doesn't want what you want. He wants who you are. He's jealous for you. He doesn't want what you have. He wants who you are. He wants your heart. He wants your preoccupation. He wants your affection. He wants your attention. Is everybody tracking with me? So Deuteronomy 11, in your notes, it says, be careful, or you, if you don't set your affection there, you'll be enticed to turn away and worship these other gods and bow down. So if you're not worshiping God, you will ultimately worship these other gods. If you don't worship God, you will ultimately worship these other gods. Other loves will constantly in our world. That's why we have to assemble together the assembly of the saints. The Bible says don't forsake it. Why? Because the other gods are pulling you away to worship them instead of worshiping the one true God. Is anybody with me today? You'll be enticed to turn away. So, so you got to be careful about that. All these idols can fit into three categories. Let me give them to you quickly. The first, God, the modern word would be power. The God of power. The Old Testament version of this would be the God of Baal. Whenever you read in the Old Testament about Baal, B-A-A-L, um, a way to describe Baal, let me just first say this. Baal, what is Baal all about, this power thing? It's not power the way you think it is, okay? Um, I, I, when I was a young man, I used to listen to this band called De La Soul. Does anybody remember De La Soul? They used to sing a song called Me, Myself, and I. And I, I do it right now, but, you know, get me sidetracked. And it was a cheesy video. But basically, basically, Baal, or this power God, wants to establish a new trinity in your life. Instead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being preeminent and prominent in your life, it's me, myself, and I on the throne of your life. That's what Baal, or this small g power God are trying to do. It's trying to say, you're large and in charge. You're on the throne of your life. You're the all-powerful one. You're the one that kind of calls the shots. Baal was um, the God of personal power. Uh, selfism today is how we would, another way to say it today would be secular humanism. Anybody heard of the term secular humanism, okay? So humanism is saying with regard in particular to the belief of that 
uh, of that, that humanity is capable of, of its own morality, managing, monitoring, and maintaining its own morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God. So I, I, I believe in human potential, but I'm just saying outside of relationship with God, we can do nothing according to John 15, 5. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So in order to really change who we are, we don't do it from an intellectual standpoint. We have to do it from a change our nature standpoint. I was born, my Catholic brothers and sisters, our Protestant brothers and sisters, we all have this in common. We believe we were born with a sinful nature. We believe in what's called original sin. We love, people that have a hard time with this, we love the hereditary benefits that come when something good is passed down, but we don't like it when something bad is passed down. So we have this generational curse of original sin. What do we do about it? Well, Jesus became a curse for us so that we could, the righteousness from him could be given to us so that we could be given a new nature, a new person, a new identity, and we put our trust in what he did that makes me new, not what an I did, but what's done on the cross 2,000 years ago. Does that make sense? That's good teaching. So secular humanism can undermine that. Baal, this worship of another god, can undermine that. And we can become mastered by that. That's what Baal actually means. So Nebuchadnezzar was a guy in the Old Testament who had this problem. If you read about him in Daniel chapter 4, sometimes in Veggie Tales, you guys study this and, you know, those of you that are kids. Remember Veggie Tales? Anybody Veggie Tales? We call Nebuchadnezzar Nebi Nebi, old Nebi Nebi. You know, and Nebi Nebi had a problem. Here's, here's his problem. He was given an incredible intellect by God. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. And actually, sometimes the things that are given to us by God can become, if not sanctified by God, an Achilles heel in our life. And so smart people sometimes can think they're all that in a bag of chips and get themselves in trouble. So Nebi Nebi created one of, or developed one of the seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. And basically, amazingly figured out how to irrigate this entire city. It, it seems impossible, but God gave him the gift to know how to do that. But Nebi thought he did it. In Daniel 4, verse 30 in your notes, he said this, Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He stepped back and thought he was all that, and God stepped in and said, Nope, I don't play like that. And the Bible records that he humbled this great king who had called everybody to worship him and pay homage to him. And he humbled him for seven years. This is a crazy story. But all the hair in his body grew out and he grew claws and the Bible says feathers. And he was crawling around on his hands and knees for seven years like a madman eating grass. It's, you look it up. It's a crazy. The Bible's unbelievable. Some of the stories in there. I don't know why people don't read it more. Anyway, so... <laughs> So at the end of seven years, God lifted his chastening and his discipline, and then old Nebi Nebi said, you know, now I understand. Really? You think you understand now what that was all about? That's awesome. And he basically says, my understanding returned to me. Here's the second God that can get in our way, and that is pleasure. First one, power. Second one, pleasure. Pleasure, when you see this in the Old Testament, it shows up in like an Old Testament name called Asherah or Ashtoreth. Uh, Asherah is like this love and, and fertility God, this pleasure, passion God. In other words, um, we see the same stuff happening today. It was back then, and there were these poles that they would put on these high precipices, and everybody would come to worship them, but the behaviors that were manifested around the worship of this God were very um, uh, self-centered, sensual, uh, passion-based, pleasure-based, and so whenever God would come in, he'd say, tear those things down in order to put me in the highest position. 
And so that's what happens in our lives still to this day. We exalt pleasure. We exalt, you know, just, you know, being uh, our senses uh, stimulated constantly and just having that, uh, you know, entertained. And sometimes they're good things, but sometimes they can take us over. I mean, it can be, it can be anything, people. It can be sailing, fishing. It can be shopping, ladies. Come on, ladies. I love how it hurts. Come on. Some of you girls got like a black belt and MasterCard. You know what I'm saying? It's like Zorro. Like you are good at it. And you get high off of it, you know, and, and we all have things like that. They can go too far, just go too far, too long. Even parents, we can, we can overstimulate our kids and we get them on this entertainment safari, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that. From, from knee high to a grasshopper, they can barely get through a day without constant stimulation and instant gratification. They're serving another God instead of the one true God in the first and priority relationship. Amen. So I'm just exposing some of these things so you can see what we're dealing with. The third God, the modern kind of word for this would be possessions. Power, pleasure, possessions. In the New Testament, the Bible has a word for this called mammon. Mammon. Mammon is the God of possessions. The God of, and hear the distinction, the love of money. Money is not a God. Money is neutral. Money is a tool. That's all it is. And so the love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says that. And so it's okay to have money as long as money doesn't have you. Many men in particular, but women too, can be literally controlled by this God. It rules their life. It rules their decisions. It, 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 it jacks up their relationships. It causes them to compromise and, and concede their values on a constant basis. This is a God in many people's lives. And some of you are thinking about either yourself or people that are ruined by this God. People fight and split partnerships and businesses, marriages split because they love money, the root of all evil. Look at in your notes. It says in Proverbs 30, verse 8, it says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. God's intent was always for you to be in a dependent relationship with him where you go to him for give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because he wants you to be in constant contact with him, to realize that he is your source. In the Old Testament, when it talked about manna coming from heaven or the quail, just enough for every day for the Israelites, it, it, don't take it, don't hoard it or it'll spoil. It's because God was trying to teach them to stay dependent on him for their daily bread. Are you tracking with me? He says, it goes on to say, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? In other words, sometimes you can get so much, you think, I don't need God anymore. I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-sustaining. You know, I'm, I'm okay all by myself. That's why Matthew tells us that we cannot serve both God and money. You cannot have two masters in your life. He wants to be first. And when he is first in life, he will satisfy you. He will, he will quench your deepest thirst, your greatest hunger. And the lie is that those things are going to give you what you need. Those things are going to satisfy. But at the end, my father's mentor, Bill, at the end, Alexander the Great. I don't think any of us have, have aspired or come to the level that they have, and they realize they were empty. And God is trying to say, I'm trying to save you, climbing that ladder, chasing after that, singing somebody else's song, but live the life I've given you. Come to me, put me in the first position, and you'll find the thing you're looking for. Psalm 1611 says, you made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy, not in your possessions, but in your presence. Everybody say, in his presence Amen. is fullness of joy. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So how do we make them, how do we, how do, you know, sometimes you might say, if asked, is God first in your life? You say, oh yeah, God's first, he's number one in my life. 
But what does that look like? A lot of times we say he's first, but it, but, but it doesn't manifest. I think that we need to be faithful people, but we should be fruitful people. I think we should say, and we love and serve an invisible God, but it should be visible that we serve and love an invisible God. It should show through us. We're the ambassadors. We're the representatives. We're a salt and a light in the world. It should look like something different. What does it look like? Let me give you an acrostic for how to put God first. Are you ready for this? So it's just going to be five things that say God is first using the word first. So here's the first one. Some of you are not going to like this, but I'm going to preach it anyway because it's helpful to you. The first one is you put God first in your finances, in your finances, okay? Now, people that put God first in their finances love this. People that don't just kind of endure this. (laughs) But nevertheless, I'm telling you this is for you, okay? Here's what the Bible says. One of my favorite scriptures and a principle in here that will save you, help you in tremendous ways, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Look it in your notes. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. In other words, worship God with your resources. With the first fruits, everybody say first fruits. fruits. You might want to remember that, circle that, underline that, whatever. With the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So what precedes you being okay and everything you need is honoring the Lord, worshiping God with your resources and doing it first, okay? So God, this is what people miss sometimes about, about the subject of money and about giving. We don't pass a plate and we don't, we don't want people to tip or guilt give, so we don't do that. We want people to be predetermined givers. And there are people here that give faithfully and they're blessed for it, so I'm so proud of this church. But let me, let me just tell you, we do talk about it sometimes. So I'm going to talk about it for just a second. And I want to talk about one particular thing that changed my life. I didn't know what I'm going to tell you until I was in my 30s as a Christian, as a pastor, Okay, And that was just the idea of first fruits. What is this all about? I can see from Scripture all through it, and I'll talk about this more at another time, that God is, throughout the Bible, everything he's trying to do is be first in all areas of life. But in finances, it's less about amounts for him and more about priority for him and for you. So, so God has set a standard. He set a percentage that is proportionate to everybody's income, so everybody gives equally and sacrificially. That's not what I'm going to talk about right now, but that's in the Bible. But when you give God the first of what you have, you can't just be a faithful giver in that situation. You have to be a faith-filled giver in that situation. It always takes faith to give God first of what you have always takes faith because you don't know what's going to come in. You don't know if it's going to be okay at the end. You don't know if, yep, but you put him first. And when you put God first, that's when God blesses the rest. So some people give later at the end. We'll see how it all works out. God wants to be first in your life. Can I have an amen? Let me, let me try to express it this way. My daughter, uh, Mallory, my oldest daughter, when she was a little girl, she liked sweet candy. And so I gave her one time some Skittles. Some of you heard this example before. I gave her some Skittles. And I poured them on the table just to kind of bless her. And I didn't give them all to her. I had more. And, but I gave them enough. And I said, you want some Skittles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was so excited, about two and a half years old. As soon as I gave her the Skittles, she took those Skittles on the table, and she swept her arm around those things, pulled those babies right in real tight, and started turning her back towards me like, stay away, homie. These are mine. And so 
Little, I mean, I gave her these Skittles. She wouldn't have these Skittles if it, wasn't, if it wasn't for me. Same is true about you and your resource. All that you have comes from God. Everything comes from God, belongs to God, is dispersed by God. You, he gave you the power to get wealth. It's the only reason that you have what you have is because of him. So sometimes we forget that. So I gave him those, those Skittles. And then she started organizing by color because that's her personality. It was revealing her future giftings and whatever, but that's another story by itself. And she had just eaten applesauce, so her hands were all slimy. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, I want one of those Skittles before she gets her hands all over those Skittles. So I said, Mallory, give me the first Skittle. She goes, no. I didn't have to teach her to say no. It just came out of her. It's just part of her nature. That's why we need Jesus, right? So I said, give me, give me one of those Skittles. She said, no. I said, Mallory, give me one of those Skittles. All I want is one. She was like really reluctant, really reluctant. And finally, she put her finger on like slimy finger on one of those yellow ones and kind of just like slid it over real, real, real reluctantly which is how we are sometimes with giving as well. We're real reluctant to give it. So finally she gave it to me, and I took that slimy thing, and I put it in my mouth just to make a point, right? What, what, why did I tell you this story? Because that's how we are with our resources. It all came from God. It's all, it, it would be blessed if we gave him the first to God. He's not saying, I need it all. I just want the first. What blesses the rest is giving him the first. And what she didn't realize is I could have put her in a barrel and I, could, I have the resources, capacity, and wherewithal to buy Skittles that could literally drown her if I wanted to. But she's, she's so scarce in the way she's looking at it, she can't even give me that one Skittle. We're that way with God. But when you put him first in your finance, he'll bless you and bless the rest of your finances. Amen? Amen. Number two, I'm way over time. Number two, interest. Put him first in your interests. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for God. What does that mean? It's saying, it's saying that if you're interested in it, God is saying, if you're interested in it, let me be involved in that. I'm interested. The balance to a lot of the behavior problems we have in our life, staying on track, is because we exclude God from all of our life. We keep God over here. Now, you can't go over here now. No, no, oh, wait, don't come over here. Then, you, then we go over here. Oh, God's trying to get in there. No, we don't want to have God over there. See, if you want to have a congruent life where you feel a sense of well-being and purpose, you want to include God in every aspect of your life. Often we treat God like a physical idol. We make God an idol. Listen to what I'm saying here. We make God a physical idol. He's just here in my prayer closet. He's just here in my morning devotions. He's just here in this building, in this worship experience. But in all the other hours of my day, in all the other hours in my week and month, well, he's not a part of that. And that might, might be why a lot of us struggle. God wants to come with us into our lives. He wants to be a part of every aspect of our life, your hobbies, your interests, your business meetings. He wants to be, listen, this will sound a little, little, little weird, but from the private places of your bedroom to the boardrooms, he wants to be a part of all of that. And if he can't, it might be why sometimes we're struggling in our lives. God wants to be in every area of your life, not just the first 15 minutes of your day, the hour and a half on Sunday, but every hour of your day, taking him along the way. Amen? Amen. Number three, relationships, first in finances, in interests, and in relationships. When it comes to putting God in the first position, he wants to be number one in your relationships. But a lot of times, other relationships are competing with him being in the first position and the, first, and the preeminent relationship in your life. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, that bad associations corrupts good behavior, good character. You have to be intentional about your, uh, your uh, lateral 
relationships in order for them to not adversely affect your horizontal relationship. But when your horizontal relationship is where it should be, it should influence all these relationships. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about this in the King James. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, some people read that and think, oh, Christians aren't supposed to hang around people that don't believe like them. That's not what it's saying. It's saying don't be out of balance. You want to be where you need to be in your relationship with God so that whatever is in them that could, might be harmful, they're, maybe they're, 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 they're nice people, but there could be things they're doing that are harmful to you. You want to be a better influence on them for good, not that you're better than them. You're just better off because of this in influencing them. And if you can't, you better pull back. Does that make sense? A lot of people miss this, and that's why they get off track, because your future is determined by your friends. The trajectory of your life is determined by the people you do life with. We have to choose our friendships wisely. A lot of the greatest regrets in our life is because who we were doing life with. We've got to be in the right relationships. Amen? Here's the next one. Four is the, the, the fourth area is schedule. S stands for schedule. Everybody say schedule. Now, you can tell what people love. I always say this by how they spend their money. I can say what you love by just show me your, show me your checkbook. Amen. Show me your online giving report, your online you know, banking report or whatever. I can tell. But you know another way we can tell is by how we spend our time. But here's the difference between time and money. Time, excuse me, Money you spend, you can get that money back in many cases. Not always, but a lot of times you can get it back. You can earn it back. But time you can't. Time might be one of the most precious commodities we have because once it's spent, it's spent. And God wants to be first in your time. Your days are ordained by God. Your days are numbered. We need to redeem the time, the Bible says. Make the most of the time we have. And so where does God want to be in your day? In the first part of it. Now, I resisted this for so long, and, and I found myself just saying, you know, it doesn't matter when. And we make all our own opinions about when, when it's okay to be with God and when it's not to be okay with God because we're really sometimes protecting other gods instead of putting God first in our life. And so I would just give God the leftovers, as it were, at the end of my day. And you know what? Leftovers, some people may like leftovers, but I'm not a big fan of leftovers. I like fresh bread. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I, I, I mean, is anybody out with me? Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Anyway. <laughs> So I like fresh food, you know? So I think God wants to be first in our day. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 5.3, in the morning, everybody say morning. morning. Oh, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. So you, you establish a priority by what you give and what you say first. What you say to God right as you wake up. Good morning, Lord. Today, I, I pray that you direct my steps and order my steps. I acknowledge you in all my ways. You know, you begin to worship God right out of your mouth as you start your day. It's a way to show that he is first. Another way to show he's first is by setting an appointment with God and keeping it. Amen. In other words, other things may compete with other appointments, but don't let it compete with your time with God. That, when you set him first, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you, the Bible says. Make an appointment and keep it. And you might say, well, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Can I just tell you, you'll get the time back. Statistics say that people will lose, lose years on their life by worry. Do you know what will eliminate worry? Spending time with God. It's a statistical fact that people who pray and talk to God stop worrying. You'll get all that time back, years back, by taking minutes to be with God every single day in the first part of your day. That's good. Number five, T stands for troubles, troubles. When you face unexpected problems and pressures and trials and difficulties, where do you go? How do you show he's first by where do you go when you have a trouble? Everybody is going to have a bad day. If you haven't had a bad day, you're going to have one at some point. Praise the Lord. It's been wonderful coming to this church here for a pastor to tell me that. 
You know, if you're having a great day, that's great. You could have a tough day tomorrow. Where do you go? Do you call 911? Do you call your mama? Who do you call? God wants you to call Ghostbusters. Who do you call? You're supposed to call God. Everybody say, call on God. In other words, my daddy used to say this to me because it was so easy for me as a Christian, to, as, a, as a young Christian, immature Christian, to go to an on fire Christian who I heard pray, who I knew was, knew, knew was talking to God on a regular basis. It was just easy to go to another Christian to talk to somebody who was talking to Jesus. Doesn't make sense, right? But see, the problem is sometimes that person isn't there. Sometimes that, per- that person's not going to be there in every situation, and that person can't answer every question. That person doesn't have the peace of God that passes all understandings in every situation or the power of God in every circumstance in every situation. And you need somebody, and that somebody is God himself. And so my father would say, go to the throne before you go to the phone. Teach you how to make bread. Teach you how to get to God yourself and go to him in your troubles. Turn to God first in all your problems. Look what Psalm 50 says. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. God is honored when you go to him. He's not annoyed when you go to him according to his word. Even though as parents, sometimes when our kids come to us with their troubles, we're like, come on, get away from me. You're bothering me. You're driving me crazy. God is not like us. He's the perfect parent in all situations. He's actually honored by that. And the key to getting the reward and the blessing from God in your troubles is don't go to him last. Go to him first. I got a headache. I need an aspirin. How about talk to God? You know what I mean? I don't know what to do. I'm going to call my mom. How about talk to God? How about pray first before you do something else? How about, how about go to the one who can solve that problem maybe in an instant as opposed to talk about it over and over and over again over months and, and years sometimes we do with other people. God is honored when you trust him and you rely on him. And children run to you for safety when a dog's chasing them. Children run to you when a wave's going to overtake them and overpower them. And as children, we should run to God who can save us and rescue us when we're having a tough day. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just be very still? And just maybe close your eyes where you are just to focus, not because it makes you more spiritual, but it just helps you focus and, and be attentive to what maybe, maybe God would speak to you through this message. I want you to think about something, you know. If you want to make, think about this, every, every head bowed, every eye closed, honor the person to your right or to your left. Don't look around, just, just look at your heart. Just look at your heart right now. If, if, if you want to make a change in your life sometimes, you need a course correction. Sometimes you got to ask yourself, you know, kind of a question. And I, I have to ask myself this, and there's different ways you could say it, but, and here's the motivation for this question is, there's this tendency for us when we come to church is to hear and do nothing about it. So as I set this up, it's really important that as a church, this last series we talked about this, that you respond to God. Don't just listen, respond. Do something. You want to grow, you want things to change, respond. So a question that I think sometimes has to be asked in order for us to change and grow is who's in charge or who's on the throne of your life? Are there God's kingdoms of this world that are taking preeminence, the first position, the highest chair in your life other than God himself? Is he first in your finances? Is he first in your interests? Is he first in your relationships? Is he first in your schedule? Is he first in your troubles? If he's not and you want to make him first in your life, 
I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him right now, and then I'm going to pray for you. So just raise your hand if that's you, and you want to make him first in your life again. Maybe it's gotten sidetracked. Maybe it's never been there, but you want to put him first. Good and high. Don't, don't be bashful. Just, just God's, God's seen your heart by seeing your hand. Praise the Lord. You can put your hands down. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person that believes, that's not just doing it because I'm goading them, but because the Holy Spirit is provoking them, challenging them. It's me. I'm ta- it's me. I'm talking to you, son. I'm talking to you, daughter. I'm talking to you. I want to be first. No gods before me. You can have that stuff. You can, you can like those things. But I want to be first in your life today. I pray in Jesus' name that you would reorder their lives as they walk out of here day, today to reflect what they say they believe. They do something about it today in Jesus' name. If you're here today and maybe before you can put him first in your life, you haven't given him first your heart. And you need to give Jesus your heart today. You've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. You don't know what it's like to have a relationship with him. I'm not talking about religion, sir, ma'am, boy, girl. I'm not talking about joining church. I'm talking about connecting with Jesus. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man. That man is Christ Jesus, the one who can connect you to God the Father and override and overwrite and rewrite and remix the song in your life and make you a new person is Jesus. He changed my life, and he wants to change your life. And if you want to know him personally today, you can. And all you have to do is, it's a simple prayer, but it's meant from your heart. It's confessed with your mouth, and it starts by raising your hand. And if that's you and you want to know Jesus, I want you to raise your hand good and high and say, that's me. I don't want to walk out of here without that. Right there, God bless you. Is there anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. That's awesome. Good and high. Anybody else I'm missing? Thank you, Jesus. If you're listening online, you respond. It's as real for you as it is for everybody that's here. Now, church, I want you to pray this prayer with me, everybody. And those that raise your hand, say this like you mean it, okay? Say, Jesus... I surrender my life to you today. Today, I put you as the one and only God in my life. All the other gods, may they be dethroned in my life. You are first. I surrender my life to the Lord and Savior of my life, Jesus Christ. I want to know you, and I want to make you known from this day forward in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every person that prayed that prayer that you seal that in their heart. The Bible says their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The heaven is throwing a party right now and the angels rejoice. And we thank you, God, that they made a decision of their own free will and it's for real and it's today. Now is the day of salvation in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap.